Welcome to the show. In this one, I talk with rapper Julian Lilly, better known as Bishop Slice. Bishop says that music has been part of his life since before he was even born. When his mom was pregnant, she would always have headphones on her stomach. After he was born, he'd watch MTV back when they played music videos. But Bishop's childhood was often tumultuous. His mom struggled with addiction, and his dad was in prison, so he found sanctuary in music at first listening to it, and then when he was about 12, creating it. Those first raps were full of angst, but they allowed him to express his frustrations and ultimately became therapeutic. If you're looking for other Alaskan podcasts to listen to, I recommend checking out the Anonymous Eskimo Recovery Podcast. Ralph Sara is the host of the show, and it features candid conversations with guests who are working through alcohol and drug addiction many of which are indigenous people. Here's a clip from episode six with Maria Stoppenbeck. The first night she was in the case, she, you could tell she wasn't feeling good. And then the next night she passed away in her sleep. And I didn't realize it at the time, but people can die from alcohol withdrawals. Mm-hmm. If your body is so used to drinking and you just abruptly stop, I didn't realize that that could cause a fatality and that was one of my biggest traumas because it I put blame on myself for that mm. sorry You're so okay. um, take your time so you know after that after something like that happened it just kind of caused my drinking to get a little dark <laughs> If you could say, I just wanted like that pain to go away. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at Tee Public, from t-shirts to hoodies to stickers and even baby onesies. Just go to the crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Bishop Slice. Bishop believes that there's a responsibility in being an Athabascan rapper. It means being a cultural ambassador and a role model, 
instilling hope in his people, and letting them know that they can rise above negative stereotypes and past traumas. He knows this is true because he went through it himself. He spent time in prison, and he struggled with addiction, but he eventually overcame both. Now, his family is the most important thing to him. Music will always be important, but being the father that he never had is imperative. So here he is, Bishop Slice. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! The first thing I wanted to bring up is on the song North Star Borough Flow, you say, you talk about the work, the shit that you haven't seen, and I'm all about the fucking snow like Crude Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's been an unexpected highlight of doing Crude, honestly. Most definitely, yeah, man. You know, you know how to sh- shout y'all out, man, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, so in 2016, I wrote an article for the Anchorage Press about Gold Kings, the album you did with fellow Fairbanks rapper Starbucks. And I remember including this line of yours from the song Esther Dome slash Flat Top. And it was, I'm rolling with some females and we jump from bar to bar. My dick's all up in a native bitch's gut like R&R. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and after the article, and after the article came out, you messaged me and you were like, "Bro, I can't believe you put that line in the newspaper." <laughs> I know, man. That was crazy, but at at the same time though, man, like I really appreciated it. You know, and then I, I really appreciated, um, like, you listening to the songs and, like, really getting what, you know, like, what I was saying. Because, you know, like, I mostly have, like, a lot of, like, um, like Alaska, like, references and, um, like, Fairbanks in general, too. And, mm-hmm. and, like, just for, like, you to, like, really do your homework and listen and, like, dissect everything. Like, you probably gave the best write-up that I probably have ever had, hands down. Dang, that's awesome, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you, man. In my mind, that's what rap music is. You know, it's an opportunity for listeners to get a glimpse of a different, oftentimes gritty perspective that some listeners should be at least a little uncomfortable hearing. Right. I mean, that's why I picked that line, you know, because it seemed like... (laughs) You know, you're Alaska native. Mm-hmm. I think that you were, you're playing with stereotypes. You are probably making a little bit of a joke, but also saying something that, that might, you know, make some people mad. Right. I mean, you know, it is what it is, man. You know, it's like, I'm just, you know, expressing myself and like, I could, I, I can say things like that because I am native, you know, and like, and I think like, like other natives like they appreciate that you know you know you got some you got some people that are you know like high and mighty and stuff like that but like it's not what i do it for you know Mm -hmm. i I do it for uh, the people that's been through what i went through and you know sometimes you gotta you gotta joke 
about certain things and you know it's like it's like that you know it's it's a it's a it's a good line but you know at the same time it's like it definitely did make like a lot of people laugh and and shit like that you know and and it's real though you know I've, i haven't heard that song in a minute and uh but but yeah it's like you know, and we jump from bar to bar. My dick's all it. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's real though. You know, it's like shit. It's like that sometimes. You know. How often do you listen to your music? I listen to my music every day, um, especially like because I got a whole bunch of new um, albums getting ready to drop, um, and uh, I'm constantly listening to it over and over and over and over again because like I haven't. I haven't dropped an album in, I think, like two and a half years. Um, and I think it's because like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like a perfectionist, and and it can't be released until like every little thing is right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I listen, I listen to my music every day. I listen to my music more than I listen to anybody else's, you know. And what are you listening for? when you're listening to your music? Um, I'm listening for my delivery. Um, I'm listening for like how well it's mixed and mastered. Um, but I'm also listening for if like I could add something just to kind of beef it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I get, I get, ideas all the time like my my brain is constantly working and working and working and working and working like i could i could never go to sleep on time like i stay up super late just because all i do is think about music and then i'm thinking about the songs that i've done and like what would be best and um and like the the whole like playlist of like the album and how that has to have like its own rhythm and like, and it has to flow well, you know, you just can't throw a whole bunch of songs and just like on an, on an album and, uh, just have them scattered all over the place. You have to give them that feeling, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Tell a story. Yeah, exactly. So like, it'll go from like a different emotion, but then in, into another one. And, but you have to have like whatever song that's going to bridge those two together. Um, or the, the, like the, the feeling of like this part of the album or that part and whatever, like it has to be right. You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. the transition has to be perfect to me. You know, it's like, I listen, I listen for all of that. Like every single thing has to be, has to be perfect. And you know, there's sometimes where I'm like, man, uh, it could be like a word that I didn't really like, like how I, like how I pronounced it or um, like how I, like the cadence of something. And I'd go back and I would just like fix that, one little thing or you know what I mean? Because like, Mm -hmm. cause like you, you might not be able to hear it or like people that are listening to the music, but I hear it. And like, if it's not fixed and I just like throw that out there, it'll like just irk me every single time I listen to that song. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I have this thing where I think that every podcast I do sucks, you know, up until like I re-listen to it and, you know, I put it out there and I listen to it as a listener. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like, oh, that was actually really good. You know, like I, I stayed out of the way as the host and I, and I really let the, you know, 
the interviewee talk or, you know, the guest talk. And so I wonder, um, do you ever have that where you're just like, you have to seek out like this song just to make sure it doesn't suck? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm like real, like hard on myself, I think, you know what I mean? Like I'm, um, like there's like some songs that I do that I think aren't that good. And it's like, uh, it was okay. It was mediocre. And then I might go back like maybe months down the line or whatever. And I'll like listen to it with like fresh ears. And I'm like, why the hell am I sleeping on this song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, de- I definitely get it, man. You know, cause I, I'm, I'm like my worst critic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, but even though like that at the time, like I might think it's just okay. It's, you know, it, later on, it's like, I definitely see that why I wrote the song and, um, and especially like, like I said before, listening with fresh ears, like it's, that makes like a world a difference because like you might be listening to a beat or doing something like, like, and, and you hear the beat all day or hours or like you, you might be done or writing your verse and the person that you hopped on it with, or that uh, wanted you to hop on it or whatever it's still writing their verse. So you just hear this beat over and over and over and over to the point where you're like, man, I just want to get this done, you know, but, um, going back and listening with fresh ears, it, it makes, it makes a difference. And, um, and yeah. How much do you look at your songs? Like they're time capsules. So, you know, they, they take you right back to that moment that you, that you wrote them, that you recorded them. And even, back to what what the content of those songs represents i mean a lot of the songs that i write i like i tell stories um but actually i I do a lot of different type of music but there's like i like going back and like listening to like um songs that like maybe I, i wrote for my daughters or you know or like you know, like I wrote a song for my daughter, my firstborn, actually, like right before she was born to after she was born and like the the feeling that it gave me and um and even like songs that I've done like like about the about the Fairbanks four and just going back there and I remember um going to their um court hearings and stuff like that and you know, like praying that they that they'd be on this side of the fence and um starting the whole put your fours up movement to listening to the song that I made for them before they got out and a song that I made for them after they got out and just like how much of a blessing that was um so like I have I don't know I have songs on top of songs on top of songs on top of songs about things that I've been through in my life Mm -hmm. you know What's it like when you listen to that that final product, you know, being a perfectionist? You you hear that that final song that's been tweaked this way and that to the point where you're satisfied with it. What's it like hearing that version of it? Oh man, it's incredible. You know, it's like and it's like a it's a major accomplishment and it just all the hard work and like the hours upon hours and the constant time that you know you put into something 
to really see it come to life and just knowing that you did that from scratch um that's it's 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 an amazing feeling man it's like i can't i can't really describe it you know once you get that once you get it back mixed and mastered and you like really like listen to it it's man it's it's amazing mm-hmm. what hip hop music do you think has influenced you that's a, that's a good one man um i'm like i'm all over the place you know when it comes to hip hop because like i get i get my influence from hip hop like i first started listening to um rap music when i was just a little kid and uh ever since i listened to snoop dogg when i was a kid i was instantly hooked and then you know you go from there to um artists that they mess with and it's just like um so i i i'd have to say you know gangster rap is what made me fall in love with hip-hop but um i like it all you know i like chopping you know i like uh i like uh let's see like backpack rap i like i like it all like everything like all the genres of music, let me put it like that. All genres of music gives me inspiration. You know, it's like I could I could go to a go to a bar and there might be a blues band playing, you know, and if they and if the music is good, you know, it's like that's gonna you know, it might give me an idea. You know, I might hear like a like a blues riff or something like that, and then like put it in my notes and you know, run back to the studio and uh lay something down like that so i think it's just music in general gives me um inspiration how often do you find yourself in those positions where say you're at a bar and you know like you said listening to blues music and you hear a riff and you're like oh man i gotta i gotta go to the studio and record this a lot you know i um there's this okay so there's this bar in um Fairbanks it's called the Marlin have you ever heard of it yeah so I, it just recently opened back up but um I think they have like new owners but the Marlin was a place where all walks of life can just go to and be accepted you know it's like you might have some people from the hood there you might have some motherfuckers that like live in a dry cabin up in farmer's loop or like mm-hmm. you know or like it, it didn't didn't really matter it's like um but like they would play they'd play rock they would play um like bluegrass music um some would like try to do like hip-hop over rock and just like but there's there's certain um there's certain bands that I, I really like to watch and I would pop in just to listen to them, you know? Um, and like bluegrass is one of them. Um, and that actually gave me a whole bunch of ideas because like when I, when I was a, a kid, I first started playing the guitar when I was eight years old, I was playing the drums though before then. And then I started to play the piano. So like, um, mainly like if I went to, if I went to the, the Marlin, 
I'd get a lot of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Cause you could recognize all that stuff. Exactly. And I could, and I could recognize like talent and like, and not, not only talent is like the passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The passion is big. I mean, you can see it in a musician's face. You can see it in what they're doing, you know, by how much they sweat, you know, you can, you can see it in all of that. Right. Yeah, definitely, man. And it's like when I, when I perform, it's like I go all in, you know, there's, I remember when I first started, um, like really performing and getting paid for it. I used to have to perform at the fucking Arctic bar. Um, <laughs> yeah. For for like five hours straight. What does that even look like to perform for five hours? It's fucking crazy, bro. Like, it's like, it's like I got paid like $500, you know? So it's like basically like a hundred dollars an hour, but it's like, that's five hours of fucking wrapping my ass off. It's crazy. You know, it's like, I'm glad that I have like that much music, you know? Yeah. So it, I mean, it's, but at the same time, um, you know, I'm like $500. Hell yeah. Perform for five hours, you know? And, but you know, it, over time, it's like it definitely wore me out, but it seasoned me to where like if I'm opening up for like a major artist and I'm like only on for like 15 to 20 minutes, my energy is going to be through the roof. Even even if I'm performing for just for like maybe 45 minutes to an hour, it's like that's still ain't nothing compared to what I had to do, you know, and and that just brings it back to the passion. Mm hmm. You know, it's like willing to go that long and like to give people the people what they need. You know, it's like there might not be like at 10 o'clock, there might not be a lot of people there yet. But then as like the night, you know, progresses, I mean, everybody's coming through the door. So it's like I don't care if there's if there's one person there. And then all of a sudden there's a hundred, like, a, like hundreds or even thousands or whatever. It's like, I'm still going to give the same performance as if I was like on a big stage. Yeah. You know, how important do you think that those moments are, you know, performing for five hours straight are to being a successful musician? Um, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think it's, really important you know and like it's almost like uh like you're conditioning yourself for whatever may come your way and you're ready for anything you know it's like um say if i don't know say if you're putting on a show and somebody was supposed to perform too you know what i mean it's like but maybe some people dropped out to where you could be like a fucking team player and be like, Hey man, I'll cover that. You know? So there's not like no, like just like no music or nothing going on. You know, it's like, it's like, it's just like the importance of like always being ready, you know? And, and, and it's important to that. Um, people see how serious that you take your craft. Mm hmm. You know, you know, I'm trying to think of a question about the Marlin and what keeps 
coming to my mind is, you know, these places that are part of cultures, you know, that, that we're all a part of and how they, they nurture these cultures and how important those places are to those cultures in those places. Um, I wonder to what extent do you think places like the Marlin or maybe even just, just the Marlin, since we're talking about Fairbanks is to the hip hop scene in Fairbanks. Man, I love the Marlin, you know, like the Marlin, like it really showed me like how diverse a lot of people are. Like you'd probably run into somebody and never think in a million years that they would be listening to hip hop when you got like people from all walks of life, just like dancing to your music and just having a good time. You know, it's like no matter what you're saying, but they feel what you're saying. You know, it's not judgmental. Sometimes I might come off like a, like a little harsh in some of my songs, but I was accepted because of that, because just me being who I am, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, uh, and I, and I really appreciated that, you know, because when I started, so before I performed at the Arctic bar, hip hop, that was not a hip hop bar. It was like a, like a rock bar, or blues bar, like a, um, where people did like covers and stuff like that. You know, it's like people wanted to go to dance to that. So like when I when I performed at the Arctic, it was I'm not even gonna lie, it was fucking rough. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough as hell, man. I but then like cause like I'm bringing like people in to watch me that they're not used to. And, you know, like sometimes like fucking like somebody would like say like a fucking like racial slur or some shit, something. Really? Yeah, yeah, bro. It was weird. And um, and I was like, what the fuck? You know, and because I didn't come with that same energy. I came, you know, with like, you know, I always bring good energy when I when I perform or do anything. You know what I mean? Like I even talk to people, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. and like fucking like even when I'm on the mic, you know, and. And, you know, it's like my my whole thing is like for everybody to have a good time and get what they pay for. But there were a lot of people that still wanted, you know, like rock and the blues and stuff like that. And like, yeah, it was it was pretty fucking rough. But then like over time, they started to appreciate it, you know, as probably just because, you know, they finally starting to get used to something like that and. And like the bar loved it because I was bringing them so much money, um, but the Marlin man, there's there's nothing like it. It just it really opened my eyes, and actually like I've got like I've gained so many like fans just from performing there. Like there'd be like public defenders and shit coming to watch me, and like attorneys and you know people with like big jobs and like big places and just to you know like people that are like really going through it like I said that live out in the woods in a cat in a dry cabin or whatever and you know that do suffer from like depression and like um you know just hearing that my music really helps them a lot and they and like and just even going to the bar to watch me helps them like that that meant a lot to me you know that's that's like a true blessing knowing that um that your music could 
help somebody go through whatever it is that they're they're going through Mm -hmm. and and that's just like the whole like i said like the whole like diversity of the marlin you know and it's like where i I felt really accepted you know it didn't matter like how i looked how i dressed what i sounded like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and yeah but yeah those those uh bars like that is um they're really important to the culture for sure you know to where like it's like a like a non-judgmental zone and where like people aren't being culture vultures or anything like that it's just like come as you are and i i really uh i really appreciate that and i really appreciate uh everyone that has ever came to watch one of my shows you know there didn't the marlin close down a few years back yeah it closed it closed down because like the whole pandemic and they sold it and they reopened um but i haven't been there since it reopened um there's been like a few things like here and there that um that i saw like where people uh I mean, like put put together like little shows, but it just didn't seem the same. But I, I I really can't say though because I've I haven't been there just from seeing like people's stories and like the things that people post and like just you know from like family members or friends that have been there. Like I'll probably I'd probably have to like give it like a minute before I um I go back because I think they're just like trying to get it up and running again. You know what I mean? So it's like the beginning stages of all that. Yeah, figuring stuff out. Yeah, exactly. When you originally heard that they were closing down a few years back, what were your thoughts? Oh, man. it To be honest, bro, like it kind of crushed me. You know, it's like... That was... It was like the vibe and everything was just right. You know, like... That was like my, that was like my go-to bar. Um, and just like all the, just all the memories and like the the big shows that, because like the Marlin, you can't really fit that much people in the Marlin. It's, you could probably fit like 200 people max. And there's like a front, like by the stage and there's a back area. And then there's an upstairs and also, you could go outside upstairs to like to smoke and shit, you know. And like they weren't really tripping on anything. Like they were like really cool, just as long. Like there was like never any fights at the Marlin too. Never. Is it, it was crazy? Like I think there might have been like a couple things between some people that weren't from um, Fairbanks or Alaska that had happened like outside or whatever. But like they didn't play that shit like they there was no fights every everybody was just cool you know and uh which is kind of unheard of in alaska exactly you know (laughs) it's it's like it's like because like the vibe was right you know like everybody was cool everybody was just like having a good time you know like i'll tell you some crazy shit um before they closed down when i did uh had the album release party for the untamable tongue Mm-hmm. It was it was dope, man. I my homegirl, she uh, I had her come sell her merch, 
um, there, you know, because I, I respected her. I grew up with her, you know, and I kind of wanted to have her business out there. And she took like, um, she said, instead of hiring a photographer, she was like, you should just let me take pictures of the whole night with the Polaroid. And I was like, hell yeah. So like it had like that old school vintage look, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, uh, but not only that is so that that was around the time when I dropped um, the South Kush strain. Mm -hmm. So I had like fucking, I had, bro, I had like 50 fucking big ass like joints and like for, (laughs) so like for like the intermission of my, um, like my set, I was like, so, uh, I was like, we're going to take a quick break. And I was like, everybody meet me outside. I was like, we're going to fucking, uh, we're going to smoke some South Kush. And so the Marlin, once you walk two feet from the bar, it's not their fucking, um, property no more. Okay. So we could literally, literally take like a fucking step, you know, and like spark up and they just like kind of look the other way. We had like a big ass fucking smoke session. (laughs) It was like, like the whole fucking bar came out and we just had like blunts and like, like big ass joints in like fucking rotation. And then we went back in and we finished, uh, we finished the show and it, but bro, it like set the vibe. You know, everybody was cool. Everybody's having a good time. You know, it's like, it's it like all love. Yeah. You know, but I think I'm probably like the first person to ever fucking be able to pull some shit like that off. But it was, it was cool though, man. You know, and it's just like, just like how lenient they were, you know, and like, just like, and I think it's just because like, there was really no problems there. You know, there was like no static. They're like, as long as everybody's having fun, you know, it's all good. So... Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's where I guess that line of questioning came from or where it started. I didn't have any of that stuff written down about the Marlin, but the way that you originally described it was how I imagine or how I think about, um, growing up with borderline, which was, you know, my dad's snow and skate shop back in like, you know, the late eighties to, uh, 2006. And so it was just this, uh, this place that really just nurtured that snow and skate culture and kind of, I guess that's what I thought of when, when I saw the news about the Marlin closing, just because of how much I've, I've heard about it from the, you know, the hip hop culture in Alaska, um, specifically in Fairbanks and how integral it is to, to that culture. And so I, I I don't know. I was, I was feeling it, you know, I was, I was feeling like the sadness. Right. Yeah, yeah, it did. It it did suck, man. And but you know, I I hope that uh that it um it gets back to where it was, and I, I have faith it is. I think it's just gonna you know probably take some time, you know, because you know with you know different bars closing down and stuff like that. Like a lot of people usually like find something, you know, like find something like another bar to go to, and then you know just from them being there going there for so long you know and there's like that big change it's kind of it's gonna it's definitely gonna take a while though man you know you just got to put like the right people and like the right pieces into play like i definitely want to go back and do a show um but timing is everything yeah it was cool though too like they had like everybody okay so if if you were to perform there and if you had an event there and they booked you for an event they would 
put your flyer like on the wall and it was just like permanently there. And so you have like all these flyers from like people that have performed from a long time ago up until now, just like it's just seeing the history of everything and like how much pride that they had in that. Um, I thought that was pretty cool, but of course they, you know, all the flyers and stuff are ripped down and I think they like did like a little bit of remodeling in there, but, uh, um, but yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was, that was pretty cool. I, I had a couple flyers in there. Um, but just, you know, just seeing like all the different like bands that they had in there, even like had like some famous bands in there. It was, I don't know. It was just, it was cool. It was, a, it was just like an all around good vibe in there. Yeah. You know, it makes me think of comedy stores. You know, you walk into a comedy store and you see all of these like comedy greats, you know, that have, that have performed there. Right. And you just, you have this feeling that you're, you're in a place with a lot of history and a lot of energy. Right. Definitely. Okay. So I have some questions where I kind of want you to think back on your upbringing and your childhood. So was there a point early on where you were just listening to music and not creating it? Or did you always intend to make music? I always intended to make music. Um, but like at first music was like, it was my escape. You know, it helped me escape everything that was going on around me. Um, ever since I was, I was a kid and, uh, then just like being so like, I don't know, just from listening to music so much, it's like, I felt like in, in order for me to like, like, like release all the, the stress that I had and all that, I was like, man, I, I want to start making music. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just one thing to listen to it. Um, especially if it helps you, you know, like escape the bullshit in your life. But then it's another thing actually like creating, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a form, um, of therapy, especially like just, I mean, because it's something that you've, you're going through or and that's really going to help you, um, get over whatever it is, but I've always intended to create music and then maybe, you know, maybe that's it. Or maybe my fucking mom knew what she was doing. And, um, I always had a, when she was pregnant with me, she had, um, always had headphones on her stomach and she'd always like have me listening to music all the time that when I was born, she'd like put me right in front of the TV as like MTV was on and you know, back when like it was like nonstop music videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she would just like sit me right in front of like MTV. And then when I was like, and then she, at first I got a drum set and then I started playing the guitar and you know, like, and then I start writing music when I was like, I think I first like try to write music when I was like maybe 10. Um, but then I really took it serious when I was 12 and I've been writing music ever since. 
Do you remember what those early songs sounded like? Um, I'm pretty sure they sounded like shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was like a lot of it was actually like me like being super like rebellious just because of you know like I said the, the shit that I went through you know my, my mom was like addicted and we'd always bounced around like from house to house my dad got locked up and had to do 17 years in the feds um so like there was a lot of anger from you know like why did I deserve this type shit you know and then like eventually like growing into other things and making songs about you know just express myself about everything but when i was yeah when when i first started it was more of like some i don't know i was like pretty angry but it was it was good to get that out and instead of like like holding it in and bottling it up mm-hmm. like it felt good to just like to where i could just use music to um to get that out of me and just like fucking feel good you know like once it is out instead of just fucking being pissed off all the time you know yeah isn't it interesting how that happens because i had that happen with uh with writing with the podcast where i'm able to to work through things like yeah presently and then i'm able to um feel better you know it's it's like that burden has been lifted off me and i've kind of given it to the world yeah definitely man yep definitely that's that's exactly like how it feels for sure because then you know you're not the only one dealing with it i think that when when it's bottled up when you don't have an outlet i think that um you know that's when bad stuff happens that's when you know you you explode in whichever way you're going to explode exactly and you know it 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 definitely helped though when i um when I had to do all that time, um, actually like I had to start writing, I had to start writing my, um, like my rhymes and shit and like chicken scratch because when I first got locked up, um, cause they charged me with the attempted murder. And even though it was, it was bullshit and it shouldn't have went down like that. Um, they had me in the hole because they said that because of the um like the severity of my crime they um want to keep me in the hole to monitor monitor me because um so I don't hurt nobody else or myself. I was like, "What the fuck?" And I was like, "Whatever, you know." So they threw me in the hole and uh I guess if you have like a if you do like have like get charged with a crime like that, they I think everybody has to go through that, you know. And uh I remember I was um I had like this hook in my head and um I wrote it down and like the shit that I would write and like they thought that um first they said they thought I was like drawn an escape plan i'm like how the how the fuck am i gonna escape from here you know what i'm saying it's like i don't even know this place in and out you know it's yeah. like 
whatever. So they, they had, um, and then they saw that it was like a map that I was drawn or like, um, of like everything that happened with my case, because I was like, everything that they're saying is not fucking right. So if they're here and they're saying this, I was like, hell no. So like, I'm like thinking, thinking, thinking. And then like, you know, then I like, like, like again, I, I use music as like for my therapy, you know, and, and I wrote down, I start writing hooks and shit and like ideas. And, um, when I went to the, it was weird. They had it planned perfect. They seen where I signed up to take a shower, like what time I'd be taking a shower during that day. And then they made sure that they had troopers there and the troopers went into my cell and they, um, they confiscated all my shit, but they, it was fucked up. They confiscated everything and they left the paper on my bed and I was on the front page. The newspaper. Yeah, and that that was all that was. I was like, man, he's, I was like, fuck, man. So like, I had to start writing my rhymes in Chicken Scratch to where like, I was the only one that knew what it said, mm-hmm. and it was crazy. It just looked like a whole bunch of crazy ass scribbles, but I knew what it said, you know. But do you still write your rhymes like that? No, uh, uh-uh. I I stopped doing that like a little after that once they once they let me out and stuff. But sometimes I would, you know, like, um, just so, like, if I thought that it was like, seemed like it was incriminating, even though it wasn't, and like they could probably use it against you or whatever. It's like I'd write that in Chicken Scratch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So, but yeah, man, like that that definitely was like a that helped me tremendously um, when I was in prison and I, you know, I met this guy named monster and he was, he just got done doing like a, like a 21 year beef. And he was in again, he got nine years, but me and him got really close to each other. And, um, you know, all we had was just like our words and nothing else, you know, like we could probably listen to the radio or something like that. But, and, um, when we were, when I was locked up, um, in the cell, there's this, uh, there's this, uh, piece like of like metal. That's like the wall that, um, like the toilet and the sink is like connected to and in the, in a mirror. And it had three like tones to it. Like you could hit it you could hit it and it'd be like, boom. And you could hit it somewhere else. It'd be like, boom, hit it somewhere else. It'd be like, boom, you know? So like, then we started hitting the fucking walls and making beats, you know, it's like, boom, 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 boom. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then I would write while monster was fucking beating on the wall. And then once I was done with my verse, I would start beating on the wall so he could write. And then we were sitting there, and uh we'd bought a we got like a little pinner from somebody like a small ass little joint Mm -hmm. and um it was like the first time i smoked and like since i first fell and i got so fucking high and we were sitting there and uh we were like you know we got like recording equipment and no people that got recording equipment i was like why the fuck don't we just record over the phone? 
So we got it to where we um, were recording. My boy lived in, um, he lived in uh, Anchorage and um, I paid him. I like did like a money disbursement for studio time for us. And, uh, and me and monster found a way out the matrix, man. And we, we started recording over the phone when we were locked up. Um, and then we dropped it too. Um, and then, uh, went down to Seward and they had a music room down there. And I was like in charge, I was always in charge of like making the beats because I, I knew how, you know, and nobody really, people there didn't really know. Um, like they'd make some beats or whatever, but like I was always behind the keys uh, making beats and they had everything there. And, uh, but the only thing that you couldn't do was record. So, um, you know, I met like a lot of people down there that were actually really talented. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of friends I got a lot made a lot of friends down there that you know got like all the talent in the world but will probably never ever be on this side of the fence again just because of a mistake that they've made you know and um I still keep in contact with them to this day I've I've recorded them over the phone you know um and then when I went to the halfway house uh me and my boy um Femi we snuck in a studio <laughs> yeah we snuck in uh we were like we brought like pieces in like ants it was crazy like we had like a little eight track recorder that we snuck in there um snuck in like uh i think he like snuck in the um the microphone and like how he brought it in is he tied like the cord around his waist but he like had like the microphone like in his pants like kind of by his dick because like when like they pat you down, they can't touch you there. And then we uh, brought that in and then eventually the keyboard. And then he uh, snuck his MPC in there and um, we made a whole album and dropped it on iTunes from the halfway house. So, you know, and that just brings me back to um, how much music has helped me in many ways. And, you know, I've always found a way to make music and I don't care how old I get. I'm probably, I'm probably never going to stop because that is my way of not only expressing myself, but um, helping me get through everything, you know. Yeah, I, I read <clears throat> I read the interview I did with you back in I think it was 2017 on crude the website uh-huh. and one thing that that you've said in that interview and then also the article that i mentioned earlier the review that i did on gold kings you said it in there as well i'm pretty sure that music saved your life that just kept coming to mind as you were telling that story oh definitely yeah it, it definitely saved my life man you know because like i'm I could still be doing a lot of time if it wasn't for music for me, like maybe like flipping my shit in there or whatever. And, um, but like also it's like, it's kept me grounded, like, um, to where I could, instead of like flipping out on somebody where I could just, um, because like, you know, if somebody pisses you off, even though you might do something to them and they deserve it, they always 
try to switch it around like you're the bad guy, you know, and, you know, it's like a way to avoid all that is just expressing myself through music, you know, so it works in like different ways for me. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that there was a hook going through your head when you originally got put into solitary confinement. Do you remember what that hook was? Um, yeah, actually. <laughs> Let me see. Hold up. It was like, I was used to riding low. My, my own. Only give a fuck about. I don't know how to say. Okay. It was like, I was used to riding low. My, my own. Only stuck my dick inside the finest hoes. Never really cared about designer clothes. I always stay true. Thrown in the hole, try to find my soul. Family telling me I need to come back home. If something happens to me, I just want you to know I will always love you. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Hearing you, you rap it or sing it just then, it, it sounds a little bit like a lullaby. Uh-huh. Yep. And like, I just, and you know what's crazy is like, I, I intended it just to be like that, like a skit kind of, mm-hmm. you know, or like an interlude with just that, with just that hook, like, like no beat attached to it or anything. You know what I mean? Just like, because that's where I really was. And I was really, you know, like reciting that and with just silence, you know? Mm-hmm. In one of your songs, you rap about how at one point you were in there with the serial killer, Robert Hansen, the butcher baker. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Bob. Yeah. I was in there with old Bob. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually I was in there when they were doing the um they were shooting the movie. Frozen Ground? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was in there. Um and he always used to stand he always used to sit in a certain area and, you know, he looked way different because he was like old, heavy set and had a walker and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But I remember he always used to sit on this one bench and like stare off into the like mountains um out in the yard when he would, you know. Um, and he was, he always sat with hammer, um, at other, like somewhat of a serial killer that killed people with a hammer and shit. And I remember hammer, like always had this like Raven. It was fucking weird, man. Like this Raven would circle the yard until like he came out. And once that Raven saw him, it would like fly right down to him. And like, he'd like talk to it and like give it like fucking cookies until it like eventually was like on his fucking shoulder yeah and but yeah but um bob always sat right next to him with the fucking dude with the raven on his shoulder (laughs) (laughs) i wonder i wonder what that made you feel like you know being in there with people like that oh yeah and you know uh, you've read uh, Murder at Forty Below. I haven't. No. Really. 
I will now though. <laughs> yeah, it's like um this is a book about like all the like the serial killers and stuff like that, like in Alaska. Oh, is it the book they sell it like cars? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it there, yeah. Yeah, so like um so I'm I I it's crazy because I read that book like when I was like young. Mm-hmm. And then I read it again when I was in um FCC. And then I went to Seward where like the majority of them were. So like everybody that I read about was like right there, you know, and it was, and they didn't allow because there's, uh, you know, there's people that were incarcerated there that were in that book. They wouldn't allow that book, um, in like Seward, like for like, um, people's safety or something like that is what they said. So I went there and I had that book and uh, when I got my property, it was gone. They said that um, they're sending it to my uh, mailing address or something like that. But yeah, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely somewhat of a trip, you know? Yeah. Just like actually being around all that, you know, but it was weird, man. It's like when I went to Seward, I felt like super comfortable, you know, like even though there was like, you know, people in there for crazy shit. It's like, for some reason, I like found comfort in it. I don't know why. But you have no idea why. Nah, and um, nah. Actually, I I have no idea. But like, I I was I was extremely comfortable when I went to Seward, even though there was like people getting their brains beat out with bats and shit like that. Um. Probably because I was like, and probably because I was like real neutral. Like I, I, I fucked with everybody. Didn't matter who you were, mm-hmm. you know, not just like, oh, I'm just sticking with these motherfuckers. And, you know, it's like, nah, I, I, I was like one of the only people that could like go and just like fuck with anybody I wanted to, you know, but. You know, having known you for, for a while now, I know that you are, you're a good hearted dude. And I wonder, you know, how do you reconcile like being around? And I know that you didn't have a choice because you were in prison, but reconcile being around people like Robert Hansen, you know, serial killers where Uh they're, they're known kind of the world over for being these really despicable people and you know, I guess maybe how do you reconcile that with like your own morals and your own values? Um, I mean, I'm not that much of a judgmental guy. Okay. Um, did things happen to, um, families and shit like that and that uh, other people have done? It's like, yeah, is, is it shitty? And, should they have ever went through that or whoever it's like, no, they shouldn't have went through that, you know, but, um, I can't, you know, people make mistakes. That was a fucking very, very big mistake, you know? And it's like, can't really say nothing to make that better, make it seem better or anything like that. But I just, I, um, I don't really, get involved in other people's business, especially when you're 
there. You know, it's like basically just stick to yourself, you know, and just don't get involved or whatever, because that shit for you is temporary, you know? Yeah. And that's something that I always had to think about, you know, it's like, there might be some fucking like a whole bunch of serial rapists in there. It's like, you know, but some, some of them are like fucking six foot five and look like fucking linebackers. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, it's like, but it's like, basically it's just like, stick to yourself. Don't ask questions and just do your time. Focus you on know? your music. Exactly. You know, it's like, I didn't have like time to focus on um, any of that. Like I've chopped it up with Bob and shit before, you know, but um as far as that goes, it's just, yeah, it's like, I just minded my own business, you know? What did you guys talk about? Just nothing. Just like, um, just like random shit. Like if you're in like the same area or something like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. The weather. Yeah. Like, just something or like, Hey man, do you know when, the, you know, like just we're like, maybe ask the questions, like chopping up for a little bit. Hey, can it? And that's about it. I never really sat there and like had a full blown conversation with the guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the old man mod anyways. He was in Juliet. That's where they have like all the, like, like the seniors and shit like that. So like, I'd only see him like if uh, he came out for um, yard out or went to the store or anything like that. And Bob and, you know, you know, what's crazy. Have you ever heard anything about him being locked up? Like any Mm -hmm. stories? I haven't. No. So you would think that he would be somebody that um, a lot of people would probably want to hurt. You know, it's like pe- raping women, flying them out, killing them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that was not the fucking case. Bob got so fucking big and like jacked. And if anybody had a problem with him, he'd beat their ass. Okay. Yeah, like he would he would stay like in the um stay in the gym constantly and like nobody fucked with him because he really would give you the business. And um but yeah, and and then they said that some well some people were saying this and I don't really know how true it is, but it was like I was like kind of watching and uh they said that he, he could still see like where he buried somebody that nobody has ever found. That's why he sat in that one spot and he always looked up to that mountain. And I was wondering, I was like, why the fuck does he always sit there and look over there? And then, and then my boy was telling me that shit and he did. He actually, the, my boy that just got done doing 21 years and had to go back for another nine, you know, but, but yeah, Bob, Bob was a, was a big dude. And after a few people got fucked up, they just left him alone. (laughs) Geez, so he sits at that spot and looks up toward a mountain because rumor has it that's where he he buried a victim that nobody has been able to uncover. That's morbid. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he always like he always stared in that direction, you know what I mean? And then there's sometimes where I would just like sit there and or like or on, on another bench you know, and just like kind of look up there and, you know, just envisioning shit and try to see what he saw. Exactly. But it's like a fucking mountain. So it's like, it could be anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, he always sat there and he always stared up at that mountain. 
Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So what does it mean to you to be an Athabascan rapper? It means a lot because I give my people hope. And it's basically showing them that you could fucking be whatever you want to be and you can do whatever you uh, you want as long as you put your mind to it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of shit that goes on in the villages where um, it can make somebody feel like they're nothing. From suicide to alcoholism to fucking drug use to shit, rape or whatever. You know, it's like... Um, a lot of a lot of natives self esteem is extremely low um feeling like they're not going to amount to shit and they turn to certain things to help them cope you know where i'm somebody that has really went through it just like them and uh you know suffered addiction and um and all that and Mm -hmm. um you know just showing them a different way of doing things and that they could be great i mean that's i guess that's like all i could the best that i could do you know like to really help them you know it's like break that cycle Cause it's, it's just like the same cycle over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so being, being an Athabascan rapper, man, I just, I think it's cool at first. Um, you know, people are like a native rapper. What the fuck? You know, like shit like that was unheard of back in the day. Like I've, I've never really heard of any native rappers, you know, from back in the day. And, um, when I first started rapping, actually, it's like nobody fucking took me serious, especially being a native rapper. But then doing the shit that I've done and overcoming um, a lot of things and having the skill that I have now um, and basically proved everybody fucking wrong, that shit means a lot to me. You know, it's like, he never listened to, you know, not supposed to pay attention to what anybody says or anything like that. But, you know, when you're younger and stuff, it sh- shit like kind of fucks with you a little bit. Yeah. But then, but to me growing into, you know, who I am today um, and doing what I do, I, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, being an Athabascan rapper. I wonder what perspectives you think indigenous people can bring to hip hop. Man, a lot, you know, um, I've, I got a song with, uh, Byron Nikolai. Have you heard of him? I don't think so. Who is he? He's this kid or he's not a kid no more, but, um, he does music in his, um, native language he even raps in his language and he's he's very very he's he's a very talented dude and he talks about you know like he 
he'll he'll put a song up of like and he'll do like a little video of him like you know like singing to the mic but then he'll have like the translation with it and i think and i think that's dope as fuck i just looked him up and he makes yupik music and he's from Toksuk bay yeah 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 is that him mm-hmm. okay yeah so definitely definitely you know um definitely uh check him out um he's he's a, he's a good dude man got a good heart and uh you know i think his music is really good for you know his people um because it's like you know it's like it's what they speak and he could speak to them and they could relate to that you know what i'm saying so like mm-hmm. um indigenous artists can bring you know so much um so much uh talent um to people but not only that like like i said from before it'll give their people somewhat hope and like and that they are somebody mm-hmm. you know because like people aren't making songs about the villages and um about their people you know it's like and once somebody can relate to that and identify to that, I think that shit means a lot, no matter what you're doing. I got I got another, um, my other boy that I've done music with, his name is John Schufelt Jr. He, uh, he plays the guitar and he's a fucking badass and he has a voice. You know, he could sing his ass off, you know, and, you know, indigenous artists have a lot to offer, for sure. And there is some real talent out there you know in that same crude article that i mentioned before you said that when you were facing those 99 years in prison you remembered praying once and asking god if he gives you another chance that you'll take care of your family and focus all your energy on music and that's exactly what you've been doing so that was five years ago now do you feel like you're staying on that path yeah um, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs though. Um, but no matter what life throws at you, you know, you gotta keep pushing through it and, you know, go through the motions. But, you know, I've, I take, um, I take my music very serious and I, and especially my kids. Um, and I would do anything for them. And I, until this day, I do. Um, and th- just making sure that they're okay and they're living a good and ha- happy life and a life that I never got to um, experience when I was a kid because I had to grow up super fucking quick because all the bullshit that was going on in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just like how innocent and sweet they are. Um, even though I am who I am, you know, it's like there's still just like the most innocent, honest, sweet little kids. And just just seeing that, um, that's what I really give a fuck like about is, is my kids. Like I'd throw, I'd throw this music shit away in a fucking heartbeat for them. You know, even though like music has been there my whole life, if it came down to it, it's a fucking no brainer. You know, just being a good dad and, um, 
you know, just getting like the un- unconditional love from them. It, that shit means the world to me. And I, and I still stand on all that, you know, you know, I guess if it did come down to that, where you had to choose between your music and your kids, you could look at it in a way that, you know, shows you that that music got you to this point, you know, to right. be the dad that you wanted to be. The one I never had, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I still, I still stand on that probably even more now, you know? Well, Bishop, man, that does it for my questions. You know, as always, it's, it was great chatting with you. And I mean, you already know, I always look forward to hearing new music from you. Um, you know, I just want to let you know, bro, is like, I, I appreciate you, you know, like everybody from the culture, you know, appreciates you. And I know this, a lot of motherfuckers in Alaska do, bro, you know, and, um, you know, thank you for taking your time out to, um, to not only interview me, but like, listen to my music, understand it. Um, cause that, that shit, um, truly means a lot. And I was going to tell you, I have a, have a new album dropping and I think the only person that's probably heard it is raw, you know, but I want to shoot it to you. Nobody's, nobody got this. Um, basically what we did was I had this idea to where I wanted to flip a whole bunch of older songs. Like it could have been like old nineties R and B to like fucking Nirvana to, um, like early two thousand like R and B and hip hop, you know, to like eighties hip hop and shit like that. And Mm -hmm. early nineties. And I, uh, we did everything with, with raw and we had, um, like a, a guitarist come in, uh, his name's Shaw Quinn, extremely talented. Um, and we had a, a drummer, uh, come in on one of the tracks and even like had like somebody playing the bass too. So basically we like recreated all this sampled some of the shit, but we did it all with live instruments and it is fucking dope. Um, I'm trying to, I'm, I was aiming to drop it um, at the end of the month, um, but I want to send you a link to it just so you could um, vibe out to it and just, you know, tell me what your thoughts are or whatever. And just like, uh, and just like, basically it's just like kind of me too showing, you know, that I appreciate you, bro. Yeah, man, I, I would love that. That would be great. And I wonder if... um I wonder how you feel about just ending this episode on one of those new songs. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And you actually, you know what? You could, I'm going to let you, uh, I'll let you uh, um, choose whatever song you'd like to throw at the end. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine.
on the runner for some days I need a bed So now I'm looking for a dope house just so I can lay my head I went to sleep I think the eight, but then I woke up on the tent But then I couldn't find a dope spot so I passed out in the tent When I rolled over to get up something broke up in my pocket Just ignored it when I heard it cause I got a bigger problem I ain't got no work to smoke I'm itching need to get my fix I went to go dig from my Brillo pad and cut my fingertips Yeah what the fuck is this Pulled out some glass and then I realized the sound that I heard when I woke up was me breaking my crack pipe. I almost began to panic, but I just went to the smoke shop. They asked me what did I need. I said the glass them need a smoke now. I whispered, I think you got because it is in my possession. I'm not even in the clear. Let me say what the next step is. Find the cord to charge my flip phone. Dial the number to the dope man. He came through when 15 gave me rock. I'm gonna smoke the whole thing. Plug to I, I, I get my life to you. 